Loaded score. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. <laughs> oh my God, what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> I think Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just who goes. Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Loaded Sport. We are one week away from domestic football returning. But until then, we've got plenty of sport to be discussing as we prepare to give our first ever pre-season predictions. That will be episode 61. That is episode 61. You might think I've missed out episode 60, but next week will be the return of a two-episode week. Episode 60 will be released Tuesday, discussing all other action outside of football that's happening over the next few days, including probably what's going to be the fight of the year in boxing. And then episode 61, usual release date of Friday, will be us lads discussing from the Premier League down to the National League exactly who we think will do well, who won't do well, and which players will stand out up and down the country and up and down the leagues. But until then, like I said, we're going to get stuck into episode 59. We've got football, Formula One, cricket, golf, darts, and of course, the latest edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. And joining me tonight to go through all that, First of all, of a full squad, Sam, how are you, my friend? I'm pumped, mate. I'm pumped. We've done it. What were we worried about? We were worried <laughs> for years, for months, up, up to the run-up of uh, up to the run-up of summer. We're thinking, God, what we're going to do? What we're going to talk about? We're going to have to go jump into different sports and and learn new sports, and just so we can talk about something to fill the time. Should we play games? And and we've done it. We've just spoke about the shit that's gone off through the through the summer. It's been pretty easy. I don't know about you. Um, and now this is the last episode without a football preview. This is it. This is the last episode until about fucking May next year. Yeah. So I think that earns a celebratory trophy. Yes. <laughs> You're absolutely right, mate. I was looking at uh, I was looking at water polo fixtures over the summer, panicking about what we we're going to talk about. But yeah, we made it like you say. It'll be quite weird because when the football season ended, we were doing two uh, episodes a week, weren't we? When it were right in was. the depths of yeah. preview and review. So be interesting to see how we get on when the season's in full flow. Might be a few long episodes, so we'll keep an eye on that one. But we'll figure it out as we go along, as we've been doing for the last eight months or so. Uh, next up joining me is the man that is bringing in the headbands. He's looking for a gimmick. I can't name you any headband brands, so I'm not sure who I'm shouting out there uh, to get eyes on it. But uh, Aggie, looks like you've got a little bit of a different colour of choice tonight. Talk us through it, mate. And how Claire's. Claire's. <laughs> Claire's, yeah. At Claire's. The one I was thinking of, if anything, would have been Claire's. Yeah, no, I've I've got back from work late today, so Phoebe's not had a chance to see me. So she's uh, she's chosen the headband for me and she's gone for a purple one this time for some reason. But it's what she's chosen, so it's the one I'm going to wear. But I'm good, it's doing mate, bits thanks. for you, mate. It's doing you? bits for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's bringing out your eyes, mate. <laughs> Love that. Bringing and out the deadness uh, in your eyes. <laughs> that's it, mate. Highlighting them more than ever. And last, but as always, by no means least, he's a man that's had a busy day and is currently munching down the last bit of his tear. I can see him chewing, so I'm going to drag this little bit out so he's not uh, trying to talk for his mouth full. Kempi, my friend, how are you? Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic, you sexy little headband wearing, salute you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, like you say, it's been a busy day. I, I am, I must admit, I'm getting caught like they do on Soccer Saturday, munching my sandwiches while we're, we're halfway through a score. Nice! Uh, yeah, <laughs> Charlie Nicholas with a mouthful of prawn sandwich. 
but yeah, you've got to get through it and uh, delighted to be back on episode 59 of Loaded Sport with you, with my esteemed colleagues and also you're looking rather ravishing in your Brazil shirt tonight. Yes, mate. I'm repping the true goat that is the original Ronaldo. What a player. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the football shirt gimmick um, and I've got more on the way. So, lads, I've got my shirt prepped for next week, seeing as the pre predictions. Might be a bit controversial. I've just realised with us having a, an episode where we're not going to be talking about football in the next few days. Am I going to go football shirt or not? Um, it is to be seen. But uh, anyway, lads, I've poured myself a rum. It's that time of the week. Let's get stuck into episode 59. And it is going to be short on football because over this last week, there's not been a huge amount happening. But the biggest news to come out is the announcement that Kylian Mbappe will or has said that he fully intends to leave PSG come the end of next season when his contract comes out. It runs out, should I say. Um, there's been so much news and reports and changes over this last week or so. It started with PSG having absolutely no intention of selling him, uh, sorry, letting him go for free, and they had all intention of selling him this summer, giving him a deadline to uh, you know figure out where he wanted to go. Saudi Arabia, club from there, I can't even remember, they all sound the same, um, came in with a huge bid of Ooh, 300 so million. So let's <laughs> my ad say that. I don't care. I don't care. I'm sick of it, mate. I'm sick Come on, of let's it. have you beat it. Yeah, sick of it. £300 million, which would be a comfortable new world record if it were to go through. And it was also, Al-Hilal. 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 They're all same, is right. They're all same. <laughs> Al-Habib. They all start with Al. Let's go Al-Hurt. Shout out when, he shout out when he's watching. Um, so on top of that £300 million offer to PSG, also a £700 million offer uh, to Kylian Mbappe for 12 months' work before agreeing to let him go to Real Madrid on a free. Now, not only is that a £1 billion deal, which we've never seen in football and probably won't see for a long while, on top of that, it has then been reported that Kylian Mbappe has no intention of going to Saudi Arabia and is happy to sit this season out before moving to Real Madrid at the end of next year. So, lads, it's the only football subject of the week, but it has been pretty much every day something changing. It looks like he's leaving. It looks like he's going to Saudi Arabia. He's not going to Saudi Arabia. And now we kind of sit where we did a week ago, where is he going to play for PSG? Is he going to go somewhere? Or is he going to sit on the bench for a year and leave for a free? I don't really know what's happening at, at time of recording. But Sam, I'll come to you first, mate. Talk us through what you think is going on and, and what you think might end up going on. He's, I don't think he's going anywhere, is he? He's got absolutely no intention of going to um, Saudi Arabia. When, when it when it come out that, oh, they've, they've released a bid, oh, PSG have accepted. Even when they'd accepted it, I still think that means absolutely nothing. We know how much power he's got over there in, in, in Paris. And if he don't want to go, he's just not going. It's as simple as that. They're not forcing him to do anything, which is the, the made rod for their own back. They've gave him all that power, so... Yeah, he's he was never going to go for Saudi Arabia for me. He's probably the best player in the world at this moment. I'd probably say at least the most valuable player in the world. I'd say, and I just I cannot see that in any in any uh, multiverse if, if Mbappe going to uh, to Saudi Arabia. So yeah, I think PSG are hoping there more than anything that that he would have gone. But I, th I think he'll be a Real Madrid player this time next year. Do you think, Kemp, I'll come to you for this one, but it was highly talked about a couple of years ago when he signed the current contract that, that he was on at PSG that it, you know he kind of had the wrestler version of creative control, if you will, having sort of power on decisions and input and transfer, potential transfer deals and all that kind of stuff. Do you think PSG giving him that power and authority at the time has kind of led to this where a player of that calibre, I can't really, 
I don't ever recall, and, and anyone shout out if, if I'm forgetting someone, where Never. they said, I'm going to sit out. It, it's an NFL type thing. It's an NBA. We see it in American sports, but I can't really ever remember seeing it over here in, in football. But yeah, do you think PSG giving him that kind of power a couple of years ago is, is kind of the domino effect that's led to him feeling like he's got the authority to say, I don't care, I'll sit on the bench for a year and you'll get nothing in terms of money for from what I can give you? Yeah, the only time I can think about it is, is if, let's say, for example, a substitute's decided that they don't want to come on or something like that. But in terms of actually at the start of the season, I'm going to sit out. I've never seen anything like it. And I never actually thought I would see anything like it in the game of uh, association football myself as well. But it's like you say, you, you've summed it up perfectly there. PSG made a rod for their own bike. Um, they gave him a deal where I think a lot of clubs, if not every club, will look at that deal now and think, yeah, we're not going to do that, no matter how good the player is. Because literally, he's got him back short on Keeley's. You know, I, th- I think he's owed a loyalty bonus. It's a ridiculous amount as well. Um, next season, yeah, which is six, ironic. Six, it's actually this season. Uh, I saw a report that he's owed sixty million if he's still a PSG player by August first, which, which is on which Tuesday. Is so. Which is ironic because he's not showing any loyalty whatsoever by saying that he wants to leave at the end of next season and not sign a new contract. Um, again, it's it's bad management from PSG. At the time, everybody raised their eyebrows. Uh, when when PSG did sign him to this contract with this type of control in place, I think there were even suggestions at one point that he had influence over who the manager was going to be. You know, who's the boss at the end of the day? So, yeah, it was strange at the time. It's come back to bite him on the arse now. Um, like you say, Mbappe's not going to be forced to do anything that he doesn't want to do. And it sounds as though he wants to see out the rest of his contract in Paris, pick up his loyalty bonuses. 2024, I think the Euros are in Paris as well. So he's going to sign off with a nice thank you very much, France. See you later and uh, and sign for Real Madrid. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a very, very interesting uh, few months, if not end of next season. But, you know, you've got diametrically opposed opinions. PSG are saying that's absolutely not an option. You're not staying and, and going for free. And Mbappe saying that I'm absolutely not going now unless it's to Real Madrid. And it doesn't look like Real Madrid are going to stump up the money. So um, we're, we're at a bit of a Mexican standoff at the moment. And it's going to be interesting to see who wins. Just have to quickly correct you there, mate. Your 24 is, uh, is Germany, and it? it's not Paris. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. sorry. I must have got confused with it. Obviously, being him representing France his last year in Paris. Yeah, yeah. not bad. But fair yeah. enough, as but they fair say. Enough, but he is, he, you know, he is going to be representing Paris. He is going to be representing France at the Euros. Um, he's going to probably want to sign out on a high from his from his French sort of career in terms of club football. And and what better way to do that and win the respect of Parisians and French people everywhere with with winning the winning the Euros? So um, it's you know, like again, it's it's a Mexican standoff whether it's in Germany or France. But thank you for correcting me. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the thought there. Can you believe that was uh, that was three year ago next year that we were all round at the star watching the Euro twenty twenty? It played in twenty one, obviously. But can you believe that was three year ago? No, that feels like last year to me. Well, it's, two, it's two years ago from now, isn't it? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. It still doesn't even feel like yeah, it's it that it, time. We lost in final, final, didn't we? Oh, final. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? We'll be three years next year. Well, I don't know. I mean, every season when Southgate's our manager feels like an eternity to me. So, got to disagree yeah. with you on that one. Very well, uh, I'll, I'll bring Eggy on, on for this one. But uh, I suppose in this situation, the power does lie with Mbappe. PSG are the club. They are in charge. They hold his contract. But they can accept any and all offers in the world. But if, if Mbappe doesn't agree to terms and sign a contract, he's still sat officially as a PSG player. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we always joke about you being a traditional man of traditional values and loyalty and all this kind of stuff. But with Mbappe holding that power card, is he well in his rights to say, look, I, I'm, I'm 
going to sit out. I'd rather sit on the bench and go elsewhere because I, I've got my heart set on Madrid in 12 months' time. You know, what are your thoughts on the situation and you know where this could potentially be settled before his contract runs out in a year's time? I think the fact that he's turned down going to Saudi Arabia, I think I actually respect him a little more for that. I know I said before, like if anybody's offered that sort of money to go and play football, you're going to accept it. And if you're not, you're lying. And Mbappe's literally been given like stupid amount of money, 700 million to go and spend 12 months living in Saudi Arabia and, and playing football. And it, I think the fact that he's turned that down shows that he's in it for the sport and not necessarily for the money. I know that might sound stupid to say considering the fact he's still on a shitload of money, but the fact that he's turned down that 700 million when you've seen players going over there for a last paycheck of the career or to make sure they can, you know, fund their families for, for however long. The fact he's turned that down, I do respect him for that. I think he's, his mind's already on the fact he's going to be playing for Real Madrid and next season that's exactly where he's going to be. I think PSG, if they've, if this is how it's going to be. You need to just suck it up and get him back on the field because they're so much stronger with him. And, you know, just, just try and, you know, build that bridge, mend that bridge for the remainder of the season and just see it through. And and then obviously Mbappe will go to Real Madrid. But I like the fact that he's turned down that, that money to stay with PSG for the sake of a year. Yeah, and I suppose it's quite a statement for the future of that of football in that country. We spoke the other week about it. Um, and Sam, I think it was you that mentioned, you know, at this point, it's not top, top quality players that are going. So you're not too concerned if and when that time comes where players right in their prime, leading footballers at that time start moving. That's when we have to sort of sit back and think, right, OK, these are serious. But yeah. in, the, in the last couple of months, Messi was offered a huge money deal, picked to go and play in the MLS with her into Miami. That mainly, as reported, was because of his family and he thought that would be a better sort of living situation for them. And also now Mbappe, like you said, Adam, has turned down a huge, huge, huge deal for only 12 months' work where he's going to end up going to the place he wants to go at the end of it anyway. So I think that's quite a huge statement from the top uh, draw players. But Ken, what uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it is worth mentioning that the reason that the Messi deal did get over the line is that the MLS did come together and say, right, how do we get this done? And he is he has got rights to Apple TV profits, I think. Yeah, um, yeah so he's got rights to their yeah. yeah, for their subscription model. So let's not get it twisted. Messi is still gonna be on a shit ton of money. Oh, yeah, of course. Does but he not also ultimately have... sorry go on? No, go on, I sorry. Does he not have the same thing that Beckham got as well, where you can yeah. add a team to yeah, the MLS? A franchise. Yeah. yeah, so so when he retires, he's gonna be able to add his own MLS franchise to to the MLS, which again I think is a um a, a, a very, very big attraction for him. And is a lot closer to home, you know. He's, he's a lot closer to uh, to Argentina, and and he can he can pop back whenever he feels uh, necessary uh, to visit his family and his loved ones. So I'm sure that is a big big appeal for him. But listen, I was in the same camp as Sam, and I still still am really. I'm not massively concerned until we start seeing Mbappe's Harlands, etc., go across to Saudi Arabia because again, you know unless it's sort of big players from the Premier League in the prime or big Champions League players in the prime doesn't really affect my viewing. Um, but 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 ultimately, I think if Mbappe would have gone, I think that would have been a big statement of intent from him and from Saudi Arabia. So the fact that he hasn't gone, um, I, I'm very, very happy with that. But to be honest with you, I don't think this is Mbappe's fault. Yes, he's got a bad attitude by all you know by the sounds of it. But you know what? Him and his agent or him and his representatives have put, you know, put himself in a position where he's He's managed to gain that power in the first instance. PSG have been stupid enough to give it him, and now they've fucked themselves up over it. So I think the big ones here that you've got to look at as fools, unfortunately, are PSG. Mm. Yeah, and I agree with that. Again, it is that statement of the top, top players aren't going over there yet, and it'll be quite interesting to see. I know social media and Twitter is a sort of a bubble, 
But that Jordan Henderson reveal video earlier where they uh, it was all in colour apart from the section of which his captain's armband was, times where he probably wore, would have worn the rainbow version uh, and they turned it black and white. It'd be quite interesting to see if that gets any uh, mainstream attention and if things like that could make people think, right, OK, I know there's been a lot of talk about Henderson going and how he's been an ally to the LGBTQ plus community in the past. And, you know, he's been really sort of outspoken about his thoughts on inclusion and things. So, yeah, really interesting to A, see that move and B, see uh, the state of that reveal video because yeah it was a bit of a joke when I saw that earlier I know I sent it on to you lads but yeah it was a bit cheeky that way isn't it but yeah it's so fucking it's so fucking hypocritical isn't it Jordan Henderson yeah. so, again man. we've all spoken about it we've all said fair play go over and, and earn yours in regards to money I don't give a fuck but just don't stand there on a pedestal and fucking spout bollocks and get on your eye horse about fucking equality and all that shit when you're going to go over there and take money it's just just it's, it's hypocritical of the fucking highest order for me yeah, and I think oh. the Preston, Preston chairman actually made a really good point of it on Talk Sport this week. Can't remember the chap's name, so I have to apologise. But, you know, he said every single big business in the UK that, you know, I probably work for, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's various businesses across the UK that probably had some dealings with countries that maybe their human rights records probably aren't the best. But, you know, Jordan Henderson, like you say, Sam there, he's, he's put himself on that pedestal saying, you know, LGBT rights, rights for everybody, you know, human rights are really important. And they absolutely are, Jordan, you're absolutely correct. But then don't just absolutely chuck all that in the bin for, for a massive, massive paycheck, because it makes you look like you say there, Sam, an absolute hypocrite. So, mm. you know, how much is that going to tarnish him? Is that going to have an effect on his England, you know, career? Is, is Gareth Southgate you can't go and play at that quality and still know. in the squad. But you oh, don't still, know. You know, we've seen I'm, Gareth Southgate. 100%. So, you know, you look at that and you think, you know, hypocrisy of Jordan Henderson, hypocrisy of Gareth Southgate for him to still represent us at the national level when he's done all these things and oh. gone to a country that's, you know, famously bad on their human human rights abuses. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, very interesting story and I'm sure one that will get even worse over time. It'll all be forgiven. It'll all be forgiven when uh, Harry Kane... In the eyes of who? I'm sorry, I think we've got a bit of an audio lag here. Go on, Dawson. I was just going to say, it'll be... uh, I think the thing for me is, as I mentioned, he's been so forward and outspoken about it, but he's not acknowledged it. Like, he's done a a leaving the club video, whatever you want to call it, but if at some point an interview comes, or if he does, I say if, he definitely will still be in the England squad, let's be honest. Uh, you know, if someone will sit down with him and question him about it, the fact that, you know, you, you've been a bit of a spokesperson for it and now you've made this move. A lot of people feel sort of hard done to because you've done that and let down. He's not said anything of it. And I think there could potentially be a bit of respect recovered if he'd have come out and said, right, this is why I'm making this move. I understand I've said this. I understand that that's that, but he hasn't. He just took this huge money deal and it kind of feels like, and look, I'm not a part of that community, so I can't say, but from what I'm seeing and reading, it feels like a bit of a spit in the face to what's been done in the past to just go and do that without even acknowledging the, the bit in between. But uh, anyway, we've somehow got into the politics and look, I'm sure we could get slippery really slow, into the Slippery slope. <laughs> Very, mate. That's, that's why I it's a subject it's to be talked now. about. Yeah, yeah, I think it's difficult to not talk about this and get dragged into the politics of it because it's so prevalent. You know, I think you should keep sports and politics separately. That's just me. But I think in this instance, when well, the way Jordan Henderson's been acting is that it's so prevalent in this instance to talk about the politics that you can't really avoid it. But best luck to Jordan Henderson. I hope he does end his career on a high. Uh, I do maintain that he's one of the worst footballers I've ever seen at Bramall Lane, and that includes League One football. So, uh, yeah, he might have found his level. But you know what? All the players in Saudi at the moment, 
know, it looks as though they're uh, they're coming up their ear in terms of quality. So he might get out, Sean. You never know. Oh, coming up the rear. Um, hey, you can't anyway. do that in Saudi Arabia, let me tell you. <laughs> so, uh, hey, hey, we're allies on loaded sport. We're all on the side of the LGBTQ plus community. Fuck Saudi Arabia and their human rights records. Go fuck yourselves. Anyway, Shit, fuck, baby, fuck we're cooking. Adam's, Adam's left the call. He's having none of it. Ags an ally. Believe it. He's shown more it. of it than anyone else. Aggie is the biggest ally of them all. But Sam, you had a question that you wanted to put out there, and I suppose we'll get Aggie into uh, to give his perspective first of all. But uh, stick it out there and let's see what happens before. Yeah, so his combat corner. It was just a bit of a thought, really. So, so Saturday night, me and Kempy have gone to the star, um, as we we often do like to. It's been a while since we've been, so we're stood there having having a little bit of a chin wag, and we get on the topic of. Um, of Hoyland's potential move to Man United. And I just start thinking, is Man United's transfer team, is it one of the worst in the Premier League? Just every single transfer seems to be a long drawn out affair and it's public and some a team like Liverpool or a team like even City, I know Guardiola's not quite over the line, but it's quite a rare thing for City. They're normally unbelievably transfer market. Um, just all the United's laundry always seems to be aired publicly um Hoyland's been linked with them for about four months now it feels like and and they've still not officially put a bid in I don't believe but this is rumored to be offering a you know an, a certain amount PSG have finally come in and just said look we're going to bid this for you and, and I know it sounds like they've got no intention of accepting that but it just feels like why are United always the fucking dragging out of their transfer policies it, it was just a bit of a, a bit of a chat we had and I ended up with the quite uh, out there statement. I think Man United's probably got the worst transfer um, now in in the Premier process. League process. Yeah, yes. that sort of worst transfer process in the entire Premier League. Can kind of push back on it a bit. But what do you what do you boys reckon? I thought I'd, I thought I'd bring it into us a lot, seeing as we've not got a lot to talk about in football t- today. I mean, it's a great question. I think. United, as silly as this may sound, don't have that same sort of appeal as they once had. And I think when you're looking at all the different teams now that are interested in players, this long drawn out process that United are going through is opening the door for these other sides like PSG and like Man City that, you know, money talks. And they've obviously got a lot more money than Manchester United have at the moment. And with United taking these long drawn out processes that other clubs are just quick to get the work done, aren't they? They're straight in, signing the player Mm. and with the money, they're able to do that. They're able to do that with the money. And, you know, United, they're not as successful now in terms of trophies as they were before. So on the pitch, do you want to go to a United side and and win those trophies? Or do you want to go to a City and PSG, which are pretty much guaranteeing your trophies? And I think that's why there's more appeal for those sort of sides. So as soon as they come in, United are missing out. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it anyway. To push back on that, though, and to kind of agree with Sam in that, when was the last time Brighton won a trophy? You know, Brighton get their business done under the radar. It's mm. quick, it's snappy, it's good. It's a good deal. They get them on good contracts. You know, they, they, they get these players that, that you're not quite heard of, but you know what? They've got good records and they do really well. So you say that, and that that's the problem with Man United is they're probably not as appealing as they once were. But I don't think you have to be appealing to get good transfer business done. I think it's just that there seems to be many, many leaks in that boat. And as soon as Man United are interested in a player, it seems to be all over Twitter, you know, seem to be talking about it on radio stations and all over the place. And I just think for a, for a transfer process to be successful, as we've, as we've discussed, 
it, it needs to be as secret as it can possibly be. You need to almost be finding out about the transfer when it's confirmed. I understand that there is a big media hurrah about Man United, and there always has been. They're a big, big media entity, and they're the biggest, you know, most successful club in the world over the past sort of 20 years, I'd say, or arguably up there in terms of especially UK. But it does seem like a bit of a circus, and I do agree with you, Sam. I get it. I completely agree in that sense. But I don't, I don't know. It's just I think it's very, very difficult in this day and age for, for Man United to, to keep those leaks out and to keep this transfer business secret because it's not doing any, any favours, is it? No, I'm just as you push back on Aggie, I'm going to push back slightly on you. Oh. And some kind of sexy human centipede going on, but I do agree with your point. But I do just on a couple of points, I do just want to push back on. So first, the Brighton point. I do think it's easy to sign players that are going on the, under the radar. They've got a phenomenal scouting system. They have done for a number of years, but they're buying these young players from South America and other places. So I think it's easier to get that over the line when other they're not big players that have got a lot of attention. And that also point. on the United that point. And on the United side of it as well, even though I agree, when was the last time? I don't know if I'm disagreeing with you, by the way. I'm just pointing out there. But when was the last time United signed an absolute world, like world-class top draw player? Like last year, they bought Varane and Casemiro, who are very experienced, but you know they're late twenties, early thirties now. Fantastic players. Don't get me wrong. But who? You know, you look at your Madrid, the level of play they're signing, young, already world-class players, world-class players from other teams. Uh, Man City, world-class players from other teams. When was the last time United, and, and this is not uh, this is not on United's fault, I'm talking about the appeal. When was the last time United bought someone that they were like, they are, day one, an incredible game-changer, 24-25, been incredible. Like I said, Man United have never been about that, though. But Man United have never been about that. But I think they've tried to be. No, but even under Fergie, they weren't like that. No, no, under Fergie, Fergie they weren't necessarily like that. But they did buy players like your Andy Coles, your Dwight Yorks, players that had phenomenal seasons at their previous clubs. Right, that's that's our next player. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I particularly understand the question because I mean, off the top of my head, straight away, I'm thinking you you mentioned you 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 pushed off Varane quite quickly, which I think Varane in his own right was is probably a a, 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 superstar. That's what I mean. I, th- I think it is changing, but we were just talking about the appeal. Ronaldo, of San Ronaldo, who still won the best strikers in the world at the time. Um, is would they have massive... signed him if he didn't have that previous link? What do you mean previous? Well, you mean when he used to play for Liverpool? Before. Yeah, but they did sign him. That's the that's the bottom line. You can't say yeah. what ifs and buts. The fact is they did sign him. Um, obviously, you're going back a couple of years now, but Van Persie, he were banging form. Obviously, that was under Fergie. And, and that's what I mean, under Fergie, yeah. Like, you, you pick up those players, but it was just the point Aggie made about the appeal. Like, it seems like the tide is turning now, but also about not spending money. They have spent money. You look at them since Fergie left. I think, I mean, they're definitely top three. They might, I think they might have even spent the most out of any team. I would say but so. Who, I would say but who so. Who are they who signing for that money? Yeah. They're signing a Jaden Sancho, sure. who, yeah. to be fair, had the potential to be that. He was at top level, though. He was yeah. at top level he when was. he signed for him. I just don't think so, it worked out. I think I think yeah. United have signed these players. I just don't think it's worked Pogba. out. I think Pogba. Because of the, I think yeah. because of the way that the coaching has been, and, and to be fair, the last few years with Oli and Ralph Rangnick, looks like the coaching has been pretty non-existent, to be fair. Di Maria. Yeah, so I maybe I'm way players, up on there then. So I think these players, yeah, I think so. In, like you say, they are at the top of their game. Bruno Fernandez, top of his game, but ultimately you've you've been bringing them in, and the level of coaching and this the tactical ability of Man United has been fucking appalling. Which is probably yeah. why the players haven't kicked on as they should do. But I think I, I do agree with Sam. I think the business that Man United conduct, while the players since Ten Hag have been fantastic, 
most mostly anyway, let's take out your Antinnies of the world. Val, I mean, Valt Beghorst himself, you know, worth worth every penny, even if he was a and more, and more, and more, and more. But you, you look at the you know the players that they've brought in, and while they've not been, oh, wow, a fucking amazing, you know, young player prospect, Casemiro vital, Varane vital. You know, these players, Martinez, vital. Unana, I think, will be a great signing for them. Matt, I think, will actually be a good signing as well. So, even though it does take a long time for these deals to get over the line, I do think Man United still do still have pulled off pretty decent business in the past two years, and hopefully they can get it done. They, they definitely have under Eric. And, and just to go back to Sam's original point, um, it goes back to my, I think, Adam, me and you on, and someone was missing, and you kind of made a joke that, you know, I wasn't being serious or what I said wasn't to be taken serious, but... One of the things that I mentioned was United tax, this sort of perceived notion that clubs will push and push and push Man United to get more out of them because they're desperate or they know that they can and all that kind of stuff. So I do think that was a genuine point at the time where teams will push Man United to get more out of them because they know how desperate they are to get back to the level that they were once at. Um, but yeah, the, the whole in deal, same as everything. I, I do buy that. Put- I, do, I do agree with that, by the way. I do, I do think that there is... United and it's going to be in... the same tax, and it's going to be the same tax that West Ham are going to have to face, and Newcastle are going to have to face, because they know that Man United are a, a corporate, you know, monster, and ultimately they have got the money behind them. So like, I do agree with that as well, Sam. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's just so frustrating because I've always said it, I've said it on here before. David Gill leaving at the same time as Fergie was as big a, a, a loss as as Fergie was because of the transfer activity. But yeah, it's drawn out. You look at that first transfer window under Moyes as the perfect example of what was to come, just linked with all these players all through the summer, what United were going to do to invest in Moyes and give him the best opportunity to succeed. And it ended up with an absolute panic by a Fellaini on the last day for about £8 million more than what they could have had him for six weeks previous. So, yeah. Hey, it's, it's... Fellaini led him to an FA Cup, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah, you dare well... this Fellaini. Yeah, I suppose so. But yeah, very frustrating as a Man United fan. Happy with the Mount signing. As I say, just for me at the time, wasn't the most exciting leading signing. Really, really happy with the Onana sign. Seeing the highlights from the Madrid game yesterday, you know, and just that, that calmness on the ball that will help United play the style of play that Eric Ten Hag wants them playing. And look, we're what just over, just over two weeks away from the start of the Premier League season. And United still haven't signed a striker, which you know six weeks ago we were talking about where was the one position they needed to focus on. So really hope they push on with Holyan. Uh, apparently the rumor was uh, Atalanta wants 70 million. United offered around 60. Atalanta won't have it. PSG offered 45. Atalanta said absolutely no chance, and PSG said absolutely no chance. We're not offering more than that. So yeah, just over two weeks. They need to get a striker in uh, and ready to bed him for the end of the season. But Kemp closes off on this, and we'll get stuck into Kempi's comeback corner. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to just very, very quickly put in and absolutely save it. We we do say all the time, save it, you know, for the podcast or, or for whatever. And I know we've got our predictions next week. However, I've got a very, very bold prediction when it comes to Manchester United. So, Ooh. Oh, a little teaser. Ooh. Put that in the trailer next week. Brilliant stuff. Well, uh, yeah, that's it for football, lads. I've uh, I sent out the subjects we'll be discussing in episode 61. It will be a football-only special as we give our first ever pre-season predictions. I'm really excited. I've, I've got them saved in my notes. I've put down my answers. I've changed them a couple of times. I've looked at them about a thousand times. And no doubt, 
sometime between now and May, I'll have uh, claimed the winner, top scorer and relegated team of each division as I constantly change my predictions. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting stuck into it. And um, Aggie, I think you're most excited to hear if Kent's going to commit to Arsenal winning the Premier League, aren't you? Mate, not necessarily just Arsenal. I, I like the fact that I'm committed to it being Arsenal. He's committed to it being Man City this last season. And neither of us have changed. So I'm actually more interested to see which way he's going with it and, and why he's going with it. No, is that wrong? Did you not? Did you not say save City it. last year? Save it, lads. Save it. He said, save I'm sure it. he said City last year. Save it. Episode 61 at the end of next week. Kemp, big stuff in UFC's happened this weekend. Big stuff in boxing's happened in uh, this weekend. Big stuff is happening in UFC this upcoming weekend. And one of the biggest things in boxing is happening this upcoming weekend. Mate, give us the reviews, give us the previews, give us the predictions. Let's have it for the latest edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. Yeah, and you mentioned a special edition of Loaded Sport next week. What a special night it was for Tom Aspinall on the weekend. Uh, the UFC returned to London after Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman um, for earlier in the year in March. Seems like two minutes ago I was there in attendance. What a night that I will surely never forget. Didn't quite manage to commit time-wise or, or financially-wise to this card. Uh, but but yeah, what a fantastic show it was. I managed to catch the back end of it. As Sam mentioned, we were throwing a few darts at the pub, so I wasn't there for the entire card. But London, England, uh, the big smoke, the city, um, in which the, the, we, we look forward for the UFC to return to every single year. Um, and, and it did return with a vengeance. 15,000 people um, took their seats to watch uh, a, 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 an interesting night of fights, put it that way. Um, sort of main four fights, I would say, sort of capping the card at the end of the night. Um, Scotland's Paul Craig winning by TKO um, at four minutes, 40 seconds of the second round against Andre Munez um, to start his middleweight campaign and hopefully push himself up the rankings for another British and I believe the first ever Scottish UFC champion. So watch this space in the very competitive and always hard-hitting middleweight division. The next fight was was an absolute slobber knocker, as JR would say, Jim Ross would say, back in the 90s in the WWE. Um, Nathaniel Wood versus Andre Feely going to a time limit decision, uh, unanimous decision for the hometown boy, Nathaniel Wood, uh, 29-28, 29-28 and 29-28 in a hard-hitting fight in the featherweight division, a stacked, stacked division with Alexander Volkanovsky ruling the roost for the best part of a few years now, uh, but Nathaniel Wood surely putting himself back into the upper echelons of that division and hopefully we will potentially see another British contender for that final after uh, after, after that title after Arnold Allen came up short against Max Holloway not too long ago. We then got to the co-main event of the evening, which was built around Molly, the meatball McCann, the hometown hero, even though she is originally from Liverpool and she is a blue, she is a big Everton fan um, and a real, real good representative of, of women's MMA in the UK, if not all over the world. Um, her relationship and her friendship with Paddy the Baddy Pimblet is, is widely regarded as one of the reasons why she is so popular, as well as the charisma and the, the fight IQ and the level of striking that she brings to the game as well. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. One minute 55 of the very first round, Julia Stolarienko um, defeated Meatball by an armbar, and it was a pretty, pretty brutal one. I, I do have to admit, I did see this coming in, in the um, in the fight. I did predict this, um, but it wasn't any, any easier seeing it play out in real time. 
She lost the last fight against Erin Blanchfield, who's turned out to be a real contender in the women's flyweight division. And I can see personally Erin Blanchfield going all the way in that division, uh, beating either Alexa Grosso or Alexandre, Alexandre, Valentina Shevchenko um, for, for, the, for the flyweight title when those two do fight later on in the year. But yeah, Yulia Stolyanenko um, fighting Molly McCann. Co-main event, UFC London. Everybody was excited to see the meatball, but unfortunately... As, as happened in the last fight, Molly had to tap out um, to a submission in the very first round. Uh, what a dominant performance it was uh, by Yulia. I'm just going to say Yulia because that second name is giving me some real hassle. Um, but but it was a shame. And like I say, I did, I did see this coming. I think the women's flyweights now that do fight Meatball, fight Molly McCann, have got a blueprint that's been set by Erin Blanchfield. They know they need to take her to the mat. She, her takedown defence isn't the best. And ultimately, if they can get themselves into a decent position, the chances are they will submit her on the floor. So hopefully Molly McCann can make a bit of a a bit of a bounce back in her next fight. She needs to win her next fight. Otherwise, she will be at risk of potentially being cut from the UFC roster. Um, and that would be a real shame for Molly and for the UFC fans in the UK. So hopefully she can go away. She can learn some lessons. She can maybe work on a takedown defence, a submission defence, and potentially get a different result next time out. So fingers crossed for Molly, Molly McCann. We're pulling for you. And we found a new contender in the women's flyweight division, which is really, really looking like a strong division in mixed martial arts at this moment in time. The heavyweights finished the night off with Tom Aspinall against the uh, former, what would say, a heavyweight contender in Marcin Tabora. Um, I thought it was going to be a very stiff test for Tom Aspinall coming off a, a, a big injury. Um, I think he tore his MCL against Curtis Blades. Um, I think it was about a year ago now. So a real, real long road to recovery for Tom Aspinall. Um, and it took him a little while to get back into the cage. And I think at times it was very, very sketchy as to whether he would get back in the cage. But fortunately enough, he did get back in the cage at UFC London. He headlined um, in his home country from Manchester so he's not quite again a hometown hero but to the, to the Yanks it's all the same when they talk about uh, UK fighters in London it's all our hometowns um, but yeah a really convincing performance he looked sharp he looked crisp his striking looked really good he looked he looked extremely confident um, and he finished Marcin Tybora one minute 13 seconds of the very first round to put himself into the upper echelons of the heavyweight division he said he's going to be in Paris next month for the Cyril Garn versus Sergei Spivak fight um, that is widely contended as a bit of an eliminator fight and the winner go on to fight John Jones for the UFC heavyweight championship of the world um, and I think that's Tom Aspinall's destiny um, in, in the interview he conducted after the fight said he was going to be in Paris to, to see the fight between Gann and Spivak and then he said he was going to be fighting John Jones when he beat, beat the winner of that fight so he said he was going to beat John Jones I, I, I'm a very very proud patriotic uh, English person English man um, but, but Tom you're going to have to improve a lot to beat the GOAT because uh, John Jones is uh, nowhere near done with that heavyweight title just yet so a, a really really good interesting and entertaining night of fights in London it's always good to see a good turnout in the O2 arena um, which means that events will come here just more, more, more often and and thick and fast and that's what we want for for you you know UK MMA and the UFC as well so a really really good night of fights um and, and I really enjoyed it and uh, and hopefully looking forward to the next fight in London um the next subject we're going to talk about unfortunately isn't quite as positive um as the UFC was in in that respect because we're going to talk about boxing and we're going to talk about George Cambosis versus Maxi Hughes Maxi Hughes 
Doncaster born, UK, British hero, underdog, perennial underdog. Uh, I think he's been the underdog in the betting odds uh, in four of his last six fights. So not not looking good for him coming into this fight, but he's won a lot of those fights. So uh, yeah, Maxi Hughes constantly overlooked um, and underappreciated and does tend to get the job done. And a lot of people thought he got the job done this time as well. IBF lightweight title on the line, but more importantly, an IBF title eliminator on the line. There's so many belts in boxing, it is difficult to keep up. But the IBF title uh, currently being held by Devin Haney, who holds all the belts and all the marbles in that division at this point in time. Um, so it's it's very interesting to see how that's going to play out. It looks as though Devin Haney may be moving up to uh, to 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 light welterweight, perhaps. So watch this space um, that there may be a, a vacant IBF title to fight for. And that's what these guys were going for. Cambosis Jr., former head, former lightweight champion of the world, uh, for, like I say, Doncaster, Rossington, born and bred, Maxi Hughes um, in Oklahoma, Shawnee, Oklahoma, which is not a place that I don't think gets many boxing events. But you know what? What a main event it was. I really, really enjoyed watching the fight. But then it got to the judges' scorecards. And as it often does in boxing, ruined the entire fucking thing for me. But there you go. That's boxing. What can you expect? Um, I thought neutral territory, Oklahoma. Cambosis is from Australia. As I mentioned, Maxi Hughes is from Britain. Surely we'll get fair judging. Maybe a little bit too much to ask. But Cambosis' fight is his first fight with his new promoter, his new agreement with top rank. Um, so maybe the, the, the judges were, were potentially... Slightly convinced into uh, being a bit favourable to Cambosis um, and protecting top ranks asset on the night, um, but but what you know, regardless, it was a good fight. Um, very very disappointing to see how it played out. Uh, Maxi Hughes, a very very good domestic fighter, coming off a, a good win against Kid Galahad, Kid Galahad, but taking a real big step up in opponent um, and Cambosis, former champion. Lost a couple of times against Devin Haney, but you know what? Thought he would still be dangerous and thought he would get the job done quite easily, but it didn't end up being that way. Um, Cambosis, as as a lot of boxing fans will know, is a pressure fighter. Sometimes he gets a little bit reckless when he's in range, but you know he's got a lot of power in his hands as well for the weight that he fights at. Uh, but you know what? In the first few rounds, Maxi Hughes, he did really, really well to avoid that. Um, did extremely well to stay just outside of range um, and did really, really well to, to, to kind of keep his feints up, uh, keep his head off the centre line, and, and what a real good job he did. He he, he he almost, I would say, fucked Cambosis in those first few rounds because, my God, he absolutely battered him. Um, but Cambosis came back well in, in the middle of the fight. Um, Hughes looked a little bit tired, I thought. Uh, I did have Cambosis winning the second round, but then the third, fourth and fifth I had in favour of Hughes. Um, but but then in the middle of the fight, like I say, Maxi Hughes did get a little bit reckless Um maybe went for the knockout, maybe looked a little bit tired. And, and there was a clash of heads in there as well that might have stunned Hughes just a little bit. But Cambosis coming on strong in round six and seven, I thought he won those rounds fairly comfortably, to be fair. And I thought, you know, from there, Cambosis would really put his foot on the gas and take it to the end of the fight. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't to be for him. Maxi Hughes, round eight, round nine, round 10, round 11. I thought he did really, really well at, at coming back and um, and doing really, really well in that in that respect. In 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 the fact that he struggled, he did struggle, um, but but ultimately, 
it 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 was not to be for him, and uh, I am struggling. I must admit to uh, to carry on when Dawson's acting the goat in the background, but we will carry on. We are professionals on loaded sport, and I will try my best. But anyway, back to the fight. I, I, again, I thought Maxi Hughes won. I would probably say eight out of the twelve rounds. Um, I did give it one sixteen, one twelve to Maxi Hughes in the end. Again, keeping his head off the center line, keeping just outside of range. Cambosis is most dangerous when he's in that range, when he's in a firefight. And ultimately, um, for the vast majority of the fight, Maxi Hughes did not let that happen. Hughes is far IQ. Cambosis is the bigger, stronger, quicker man. Um, but ultimately, Maxi Hughes was a little bit smarter on the night. And again, I thought he won by at least four rounds. Unfortunately, the reality in boxing is very, very far away from what actually happened. Um, and George Cambosis won by majority de- majority decision. Um, David Sutherland's card was 114-114, which, again, is already questionable at this point. But you think, you know what, can happen. You can look at the card, maybe give a couple of those rounds to, to, to Cambosis, and then that changes it. You know, 116 and 112, the difference between that and 114-114 is two rounds. So you can potentially see where he did get that from if you've been very generous. But then Gerald Ritter's card, 115-113, it was a bad card in my opinion. It, it it clearly showed in my opinion that they already thought that Cambosis was going to win because he was a big favourite going into the fight. And they weren't changing their mind no matter what happened in the ring on the night. And to be quite honest with you, the, the last card was even worse. Joseph Mason's card, 117-111 in favour of Cambosis. And I've seen some bad boxing cards in the past, but I honestly do think this is possibly the worst card I've ever seen. There is no way in hell that, that, that George Cambosis won that many rounds. Um, it, it's it's disappointing Maxi Hughes has been robbed of a, of a potential IBF title fight. You know, if, if David Haney does go up to the next weight class and, and relinquish his belts, then that's it. You know, that, that, that the title will be on the line. The IBF title will be on the line in Cambosis's next fight. Um, and unfortunately, Maxi Hughes won't have that title title fight and, and a chance to change his, change his life and his family's life forever. So it's very, very upsetting. It's very disappointing for him and for British fighting overall. We could have and should have had a potential new uh, title contender. But again, it was not to be. So we move. That's boxing. That's what we signed up for. When it's in the ring, it's great. We enjoy it. But all, all, unfortunately, there are there are politics which will potentially and, and, and most probably never change. Um, we move on to more positive news in boxing. And actually, I'm going to save that to the end, actually. Save it, as we often say, because it is possibly, if not the biggest fight of the year, one of, most definitely, um, in any weight division, absolutely, altogether. So we will save that for the end. And we'll talk about something that's going to happen at the same time. So it's going to be really, really difficult for myself to keep up with it, but I'll, I'll do my best. I'll get the two screens set up sorted, I'm sure. Um, UFC 291, Dustin Poirier against Justin Gaethje for the BMF title. The BMF title, as you're probably not, if you're, if you're not aware, it isn't an official UFC title. It's more of a symbolic title for people that are entertaining as fuck. Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal fought for the belt before. Um, entertaining fighters that put it all out there on the line uh, and give no quarter is what the BMF title symbolises. And just Justin Poirier and Justin Gaethje will be fighting for that said belt on Saturday night. Um, Salt Lake City, Utah is the destination. July 29th is the date. Justin Poirier and Justin Gaethje are the main eventers. But what a card we've got. This is possibly the best card of the year so far, top to bottom. And the reason it is, is because it is going to be pure action and donkiness from the beginning of the card to the end. And that's why we watch the fights at the end of the day. 
Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland, big mouth, as Dana White calls him on numerous occasions. It's going to be a very, very interesting fight. Kevin Holland moving down to welterweight, moving his way potentially up the divisions. And Michael Chiesa um, experienced, uh, I wouldn't say journeyman at this point in time, but most definitely Michael Chiesa is, is in a position where he needs to kind of get himself back into a, a, a routine and a rhythm of winning fights and getting himself into the upper echelons of that division. We've then got Tony Ferguson, the legend that is Tony Elkakui Ferguson. He is on a skid at the moment. He's lost fights against Nate Diaz. He's lost fights against Charles Oliveira. Um, he went 11 fights unbeaten, and I think he's getting close to at least four or five fights without a win. So Tony Ferguson really needs a win, and he's going to be looking for that against Bobby Green. Um, Bobby Green, famous for, for putting a very little fight up against Islam Makachev. But it's very, very difficult to put a fight up against Islam Makachev with how good he is as a competitor. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting fight. It's not a fight between two top contenders, but it's absolutely a fight between two people that are really going to give it everything they've got. And uh, Tony Ferguson's El Kakui, always entertaining. Hopefully he'll throw some dust this time again. But we'll see. Um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against Michelle Pereira. Two extremely exciting strikers. We will not see this one go to the ground, I don't believe. Um, two karate experts. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Dawson, I think, or Mudge might have mentioned in the chat the other day, the nicest guy in sport in all of sport. Absolutely not. Stephen Thompson most popular, is the nicest guy popular. in all of sports. Go on. Most popular. Most popular. Was, uh, um, so, so it was a, a Killian uh, and thing, the saga, uh, and uh, Janice, uh, the... Uh, Milwaukee Bucks um, yeah. NBA player uh, basically quote tweeted it saying, do they want to sign me? I look like Mbappe. And I just put, is he like, yeah, he's just... Most the, popular. Most, most popular, popular. Most popular. Okay. Most popular, okay. Yeah. I thought you meant nicest, which, I, which I, I, I took umbrage with because Stephen Wonderboy Thompson could kick your head clean off your shoulders, but he's the nicest guy in the world. The he don't clean up afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Well, the BMF <laughs> title is on the line in the main event. It has been suggested to Wonderboy before to have an NMF title, nicest motherfucker title for Stephen Thompson, and nobody's beating like him for that, it. let me tell you. Let me tell, tell you. you Night Dog might give him a fucking round of Oh, two. no, Stephen Thompson, <laughs> nicest guy in the world. Night Dog can fuck right off. He's on a mean streak. Um, Jan Blahovic against Alex Pereira in the main in the co-main event of the evening. Alex Pereira coming off of his knockout defeat against Israel Adesanya for the middleweight championship of the world. Always struggled to make that weight. He is 35 now. He is coming to the back end of his career. And ultimately, he's looking at that now and thinking, OK, this weight cut's getting harder and harder. Can I go up to 205? Can I do some damage with my striking and, and, and my power? Can it transcend up there? Um, he's going to hopefully see if that can that can work for him as well. Jan Blahovic, however, has beaten Israel Adesanya. Uh, the only other man apart from Alex Pereira to beat Israel Adesanya. Um, uh, he did it when Israel tried to move up to 205 and take that belt as well. And the way that he did it was by using his wrestling, by using his grappling. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Alex Pereira has zero wrestling and zero grappling. So I can only see this going one way. But if Alex Pereira can crack Jan Blahovic before he, before he manages to get him down, it'll be a different story. And all fights start on the feet. So it's going to be a very, very interesting night in regards to that fight. We come to the main event, the BMF title on the line. Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. It's not just for the BMF title. It is potentially for the number one contendership for the UFC lightweight championship of the world, which will be defended by Islam Makachev later in the year against former champion Charles Cowboy Oliveira. My God, this fight is going to be unbelievable. Charles Dubronx Oliveira rather rather than, than, than Cowboy Oliveira, but Dubronx, Islam, 
Poirier, Gaethje, Will McGregor is turned to 155 against Chandler. All of these unknowns in the 155 division. You've got Fizayev. You've got all of these fighters that are still very, very present in this division. And the BMF title is going to be coming to the division as well. This one is going to be an absolute slugfest from start to finish. Both of these guys come straight forward. Both of them lead with their chin first. Neither of them rely on the wrestling and their grappling. Both of them are absolute animals in the cage. And that's why it's going to be such a compelling fight. And that's why it's going to be so interesting to watch. It's going to be fireworks from beginning to end. And even if you're not a fight fan, I recommend getting yourself up on Sunday morning after this fight has taken place. Get yourself on the internet. Try and find yourself the highlights of this fight because it is going to be unbelievable. And just as I've said that, the chances are it'll probably be a five-round decision um, and, and barely any punches will be thrown. But with Justin Gaethje involved, I highly doubt that will be the case. From Donkeys is what I would, would consider those two boys in the main event of the UFC. Unbelievably skilled fighters, but they put it all on the line and do not give a shit what it's all about. Terence Crawford and Errol Spence will be fighting in the ring, in the squared circle, in Queensbury rules in boxing this weekend. It's not going to be a donkey fest. It's going to be possibly the most technical boxing match of the year, if not ever. Errol Spence, Terence Crawford, both unbeaten, both champions at their respective divisions. This is for the WBA, the WBC, the IBF and the WBO World Welterweight Championships, which means the winner of this fight will be the undisputed champion. And that is something we very rarely see in boxing these days. It's going to be a crazy, crazy fight in terms of technical ability, in terms of the, 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 the matchmaking. It's, these two are both in their prime. We, 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 we saw as boxing fans, Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather never fighting in their prime. We probably won't see Tyson Fury and 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 uh, Anthony Joshua fighting in their prime. It doesn't happen in boxing. It's finally happened in boxing. Errol Spence will fight Terence Crawford on the 29th of July, and it's going to be interesting more than anything else. I'm going to take down the tone because that's the, the the type of tone that I think they will set in the fight. It will be very, very clinical. It will be very, very interesting to see who's going to get the best out of each other um, and who's going to win this fight. Errol Spence is extremely technical, but extremely hard hitting. He can go through the gears. He can go through the motions. He can get himself into a position where he can win the fight um, by any means necessary. And he can win it by his skill, his technical ability, his durability. Um, and he's got a few miles on the clock to see how many fights he's had in the age that he is, purely because he, he has got such a good gas tank. He's got such an ability and an, an innate desire to win. Beating Kel Brook for the, for the uh, IBF title, which broke my heart back in the day at my home brand, Malene. Um, but but that just shows how good Errol Spence is because Kel Brook was no joke as champion. Um He's fighting Terence Crawford, who is widely considered and potentially considered as one of the pound-for-pound pound best fighters in the world right now. Again, technical ability, manoeuvrability, speed, desire, <clears throat> work rate, you know, um, stamina, all of these things are, are absolute staples of Terence Crawford and Errol Spence. You know, both similar in age, both similar in experience, both similar in opponents. It is such an evenly balanced and poised fight that I'm seeing literally 50% of pundits give it one way and 50% of pundits give it another. Carl Froch is a perfect example of what's been happening. I know Carl Froch's opinions sometimes are a bit fucking crazy, but he initially had Terence Crawford to win the fight. Now he's got Errol Spence to win the fight. You've got Eddie Hearn who's sat on the fence. He's getting split because he can't decide. 
Frank Warren's exactly the same. All the big names in boxing can't decide who's going to win this fight. And that's what makes it so interesting and entertaining. Nobody's interested in seeing fights where we know who's going to win you know, straight away from the start of the night. This is what we want to see. The undisputed welterweight championship of the world will be on the line this weekend. Oh, what a weekend it's going to be a fight, Dawson. Yes, mate, you say there about the fight. I've I've been hearing about this fight for a very long time. And, and look, you've said it yourself before when you've brought me in on certain subjects in Kempis Combat Corner. I'm by no means, uh, you know, a fan as such. I'll, I'll watch the odd fight, but it's usually a heavyweight fight or, you know, these influencer fights where it's like a car crash. You can't help but look, even though you, your brain's telling you you should be looking away. But it's quite interesting what you say about this fight this weekend between Spence and Crawford. It's a fight that I've seen a lot of people talking about for, for much of the year now. Um, and yeah, will I watch it? I'll be honest, probably not. But for for boxing fans, the traditionalists, as they as they say, the it, it should be some occasion. I'm sure. Looking at the bookies as they you say about you know Frotch sort of going one way or the other, fans fifty fifty down the line. Um, just got bet three six five up now, and they do have Crawford as the slight favourite. Um, at twenty to thirty one, uh, Errol Spence Jr. at five to four. So yeah, Crawford does have the slight edge in terms of um outcomes. Uh, Crawford to win by KO um or disqualification is second favourite behind him winning by decision or technical decision. So Crawford winning by knockout is slightly favoured over Spence by uh, decision, but um. You know what we like at Loaded Sport. Whenever we're talking about things, we always put a name to a thing. So, Kemp, you being the expert, you being the man that is looking forward to this fight, and like you said, has the potential to be one of the most technical fights of the year, if not of all time. And certainly when it's all said and done, one of the fights that in our lifetime we'll look back on and say, what an absolute belter that was. But what are you putting your name to in terms of a winner and the uh, way that they win that fight? So I've been going back and forth as well. I did initially think Terence Crawford may win this fight when it first got announced. Then I moved over Ooh. to Errol Spence. I moved over to Errol Spence. Ooh. I moved the chair across. But then I moved it back. And and, and 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 I think Terence Crawford will win this fight. Yeah. Right. Razor, razor close decision. I don't think anybody will knock anybody out. I, I think I've been looking at it. I've been looking at the stats. I've been looking at each man's... Um, career, their the victories, their age, the rounds they've done. I, I, we, you've got to look into this one um, as closely as you possibly can because it is that close. That that's the only way that you can make a, a decision as to who you want to go for. Um, Errol Spence is twenty-eight and zero with twenty-two KOs. Terence Crawford is thirty-nine and zero with thirty KOs, which means you would think, oh, hang on a minute, Terence Crawford's had more fights, more miles on the gas tank, but actually took less damage. Errol Spence in recent years did have an unfortunate car crash and a detached retina from that as well. So how much is that going to play into his physicality and his ability to to be able to to, to compete to 100%? He says he's at 100%. He says he's never felt better. Boxers often do say that. But then again, Errol Spence is the younger man. He's 33. Terence Crawford's 35. Errol Spence is slightly taller, five foot nine. Terence Crawford's five foot eight. They're both southpaws, which is a really, really interesting matchup because it's very, very rare that you see southpaw versus southpaw. I'm struggling. Even now when I've said Terence Crawford, I'm still struggling, but I'm going to stick with it. If I don't stick with it, I'm going to get a reputation for moving the chair like Dawson does, and I don't want that more than anything <laughs> That's else. my gimmick. You stay so away. For me, so for me, Terence Crawford out of Omaha, Nebraska, Terence Bud Crawford will get a razor-close split decision. 
There we go. Put your money on it. And Sam, I'll very quickly come to you to close off the talk of this fight and Kempi's combat corner because you're having your time. Watched a fair bit of boxing. Um, you know, I know a lot of our conversations around it sort of in our group chats and stuff is around the heavyweight scene. Um, that doesn't mean that heavyweight boxing is the only draw. You know, Mayweather's, your Pacquiao's of the world over the years have drawn huge amounts of viewers and money despite not being in the heavyweight division. But me, certainly, I'm not seeing a huge amount of coverage of this fight going into this weekend. No. Um, even though people that I do speak to about it, huge boxing fans, can't say enough good things about it. But someone like yourself that does watch quite a, li- a lot of boxing, has the boxing world done enough to really grasp the attention of someone like yourself that is a casual viewer where... You know, you should, in theory, if you like boxing in certain fights, you should be wanting to tune in this weekend. But has the sport done enough to promote this fight to grab someone like yourself who is a casual to make sure that you're watching it this weekend? No, you're probably right there. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I will say complete fair weather boxing fan. I only tune in for, you know, the, the A-list heavyweight fights. So I can't really say, you know, I watch I watch too much boxing. But yeah, I've, I've watched a fair share of the year and, and you're absolutely right. You're not really seeing it many places other than the dedicated pages to boxing and, and the things like that. I haven't seen much on, you know, the Sky Sports Facebook page covering any kind of story or anything like that. But again, that's probably just me. Maybe they haven't. I've just not picked up on it. But yeah, it's... Um, Kemp, what do you reckon? You, you just shook your head there. You, would you agree with that? You, you haven't seen much of it. It's uh, it's not being promoted brilliantly in the UK, I must admit. You know, on social media, if you follow boxing pages and stuff like that, I think the way that I would describe this fight is that it's a purist dream fight. Mm. Like, it's absolutely like the, the technical ability of these two boys. I can't, I don't know how I can describe it to you in modern day like football or NFL, but literally the absolute tippity top of the sport are fighting each other in their primes. And in boxing, like I say, that is so rare. It's like Pacquiao and Mayweather fighting when they should have fought. That's how big it is. But because Crawford and Spence haven't really got those profiles, especially across the pond, and again, the promotion job on this fight has probably not been as good as it should have been. Who's their promoter? It's Well, the, the promoter of the fight um, is Showtime Pay-Per-View. So oh, right, okay. It's, it's, it's Showtime, so it's... Um, can't think of who's in charge of the promotion, but I know in the UK it's on TNT Sports box office. So, you know, I know they've been having a rebranding. I understand that they've got a lot of eggs in the UFC basket, but Jesus Christ, this is such a massive fight that it really does surprise me the lack of promotion that has been, you know, in the UK. Because be honest, if you three didn't, you know, we, we didn't do Kempi's Combat Corner or whatever. Would you even know this fight was happening this weekend? It's a valid question to ask. It is a valid question. Um, I'm just trying to think if I when, when the last time I've seen this fight anywhere other than you speaking about it, and and I can't to be honest. I really can't think of it. So you've probably got a bit of a point there. What times? What times the fight? Is it a um, is it a daft o'clock one in in America? Yeah, I believe it's in Las Vegas, so it, it will mm, be. A, a, you're a looking at about one. four. Yeah, and, and I've just looked now as well. It looks as though it's it's been promoted by Premier Boxing Champions on Showtime pay-per-view. So with that in mind, I don't actually think I know who is in charge at Premier Boxing Champions and, and who's in charge of, of the promotion itself. So what I do know is that 
to get to make this fight happen, I think Crawford actually rang Spence personally and said, "Let's do it." So they did cut out all the bullshit of the promotion. Love that. We've got to respect that. Yeah. Over the line. Massive respect for yeah, it because for years, for a couple of years, it's been has it, will it, will it, won't it? Promoters get in the way. We want this. We want that. Managers get in the way. We want that. And the two fighters in the end just said, "Fuck you guys. We're going to speak to each other and get it on." So massive, massive respect for that. But do you know what? In the UK. It's TNT Sports box office that are from, that, that, uh, that that's, that's pay per view in the fight. It's their responsibility to promote the card, and unfortunately, they haven't done that well enough. No, yeah. no. Um, just very quickly, uh, I've still got the odds up uh, on Bet Three Six Five, and it's the time it's got listed is five a.m. So you're looking at five six a.m. that that uh, goes Sunday morning. I, I would so, imagine uh, that it'll be UFC Two Ninety One or potentially finish, and then the boxing will start. Big sleep for you Sunday, then catching up. Big sleep for me Sunday, catching up. Absolutely. But um, look, you mentioned about the promotion over here. TNT Sports, if anyone's watching for a very reasonable fee, I'm sure we can clip Kemp talking about it and uh, you can use that as the promotion. But yeah, absolutely. Pure extreme. More people should be seeing about it. But that's everything for Kempy's Combat Corner. We will be back earlier next week, as I said, in the rest of the world episode outside of football Kemp no doubt will break down what happened in UFC what happened in that fight and Kemp the meanest from the bottom of my heart mate I hope it lives up to the billing of potentially an all-timer fight but we'll get stuck into it next week won't we we certainly will and again in terms of pure entertainment value for the neutral or whatever it might be it's not going to be that if that's what you're staying up for um, you're not going to get that what you are going to get is if you're a boxing fan and you respect the history and the sport of Queensbury rules boxing you're going to get the most technical fight that you've probably seen in 2023 or for a very long time. So very much looking forward to it. And it'll be a nice change of pace from Poirier and Gaethje absolutely trying to take each other's heads off, which I can't wait for either. Yeah, absolutely. Something for everyone on Saturday night slash Sunday morning. And before, the very last thing I want to put out there before we move on to the next sport, at time of recording, Kempi and Aggie, we are one month away from AEW All-In at Wembley. Now, where you think that falls under the combat uh, side of things, but maybe to potentially a little bit of a mention in a month's time uh, when it comes to Kempi's Combat Corner, but we'll see, won't we? Mm, I think I'll have to make a new segment for that because putting, <laughs> putting sports entertainment, as it were, or professional wrestling into combat, I'm not quite sure as a combat sports fan I can do that, but I'm sure we'll think of something. I'm sure we will, but Aggie... Time to bring you back in, mate. It is Formula One time. This past weekend, we had the yearly edition of the Hungary Grand Prix. And Sam, I know you were watching, mate. As you said last week, we're reeling you in. And also, we have got one of the most prestigious races and most famous corners in the Formula One calendar coming up this weekend as we head to Belgium. So first of all, Adam, talk us through what happened this past weekend in Budapest. Yeah, so they changed, of course, the qualifying format. So it, it went to this typical five go out in the first qualifying session, five go out in the second. Then, of course, you've got 10 left in the shootout. However, you had to use a different compound of tyre on each of those qualifying sessions. And in the first qualifying session, it saw the departure of George Russell. In the second, it saw Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari miss out. And then, of course, in third and fourth, we got to see Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri in the McLarens. And for the second consecutive week, or should I say, I nearly for the second consecutive week managed to get the entire podium correct if it wasn't for the fact that Hamilton managed to uh, to pit, um, I think it was Hamilton, wasn't it, in third place in the end? No, uh, yeah, it was Hamilton, wasn't it, in third place in the end, at the end of the race? Hamilton? Yes. 
No, it wasn't. It was, it was Checo. Then. It was Checo. So yeah. it was uh, Lando in second, then Checo in third Lando, place. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, at the end of the race, and then of course Piastri managed to uh, climb himself back up to fifth. But I think the strategy that we threw at Piastri kind of led to him falling into fifth place. The fact that he was leading of the two McLarens, and then we chose to pit Lando first, kind of ruined Piastri's race a little bit. So for the second consecutive week, we had so much promise that he just the strategy fell to pieces for him, and it cost him dearly. But We've got Lando on the podium for two consecutive weeks. And just to be a bit bitter about it, he even smashed up Max Verstappen's trophy. Did he? He did. Guess he what? Did. Who, um, who backed Lando to finish on podium last week? Uh, I got think that was second. you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like you the trophy. With that. It looks like that does like, because earlier when you first showed it, I thought to myself, that looks like the trophy. But yeah, basically, what's uh, what? What happens, Sam, because you, you clearly didn't see it. Obviously, at the end, when they do the podium, they go up National Anthem, champagne, spraying each other and having a bit of a good time up on the, up on the podium. So um, the, the winner always gets a trophy and Max would put it on the corner of the, the top step. Um, and Lando had the big you know, magnum of champagne and he smashed it on the corner of Max's steps, obviously fizz it up and knocked the trophy over and completely smashed it. Wow. Um, bit of a wry smile from him. And then he just started spraying every fucker with the... Uh, with the champagne, so yeah, bit of a bit of a whoopsie moment on, on that one. But uh, Adam, you, we obviously spoke about McLaren's improved performance at, at Silverstone with with the upgrades, and I mean, it, again, we, we've only got a small, very small sample size, and other teams can change and catch up. But are they here to stay? Is it a little bit of a short term thing, and then the pack will reset itself as other um, upgrades and things come in? Or, or look, they're not going to challenge. Uh, Red Bull at this point, let's, let's be fair and honest, but are they in a position to be the best of the rest outside of Red Bull? Yeah, absolutely. Lando's finished second in consecutive weeks. We've had Piastri finishing fourth and fifth place um, in each of the last two weeks. So, yeah, I'd definitely say we're in a position where we can compete with the best of the rest. It's not so much Red Bull that we're competing with, it's Max Verstappen, because Checo isn't quite living up to that hype. He got on the podium at the very end um, last week. The week before, he was nowhere to be seen. And it just seems to be that with qualifying, he's letting himself down and he's making the task much tougher for himself. But yeah, I think these changes that we've made are certainly making us much more competitive. On a regular basis now, we're going up alongside Lewis Hamilton and George Russell and, and even sometimes against Sergio Perez. And we're just keeping that sort of speed alongside him on the straights and sometimes taking it into corners as well. The way in which the race started, Lewis Hamilton started on, on pole position, of course, and on the first corner, he'd fallen down to fourth place. Max had taken his usual place at the top, and then it was Piastri in second and Lando in third. So we've got two young, very hungry drivers there that are trying to prove a point and get themselves as high up and make a career for themselves, if not with McLaren, then with a different team that can be more competitive. But at the moment, we're giving them a car to compete. So I don't see why we can't be uh, the best of the rest. The bit that does worry me is we've just had our upgrades. Mercedes have got theirs this weekend and we're about to head into the summer break, which of course is a three-week break where testing becomes a much more regular thing. It certainly has done over the last couple of years and then plenty of cars seem to see upgrades come as a result of it. What I did like is, of course, the change in the qualifying session that we spoke about, the fact that you've got to use a different compound. It threw up a bit of chaos, really, because Max didn't get on pole position, which I think, had he been allowed to just use soft tyres all the way through, I think it's a foregone conclusion. So it kind of threw a bit of a spanner in the works for the regularities, didn't it? And I think for that, Lando and, and Piastri kind of up there as well. You got to see a Ferrari and a Mercedes having to go with different strategies, that kind of stuff as well. It makes teams think a little bit further outside the box. And I think on a race day, Max is always going to have the extra pace. 
but it's all now about how you can do it with qualifying. If he struggles in qualifying and maybe gets to third or fourth place instead of on pole position or second place as he did last weekend, you could be looking at a completely different result. And he's then got a couple more cars to get past. And if teams are defending and you look, for example, Monaco's only around the corner. If, if we've got uh, tracks like that coming up and, you know, Singapore's on its way, you know, the street races where it is tough to get these overtakes, you don't start in pole position. You've got a bit of a challenge whether you're Max Verstappen or not. So, yeah, I think our upgrades are nice. I think Mercedes are going to have some this weekend. So we might see Lewis and maybe even George Russell a bit more up there now competing and then just see where it goes from there after the break. I think that's where you'd really expect to see Ferrari kind of turn their corner and and start to climb back up to to compete as the best of the best. But it's gone from, you know, Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes is your three front runners to now Red Bull are the front runners and everything else is a free for all. Yeah, definitely. And the reason I asked about are they, are they here to stay or could things happen is Fernando Alonso started the, the season fantastically well. Over the last sort of three or four races has, has dropped off. So it'd be interesting to see if they can maintain that and make a push to be the you know second in the standings, potentially on the constructors' side. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of races left to take place and uh, they're in a good position, I think, to really push on if they can keep up that level of result. But uh, you mentioned Singapore there. One thing I will quickly point out, I was talking to a good friend of the show, Nath, the other day. He's a big F1 fan. We talk pretty much every weekend that it's on about it. And he was talking about the street races. Um, and you said there that Singapore's coming up the other side of the summer break. And he, he, he sort of said something to me and said, propose it or, or mention it on the pod. So uh, that coming weekend, I'll, I'll bring it up to you, Adam. It's just sort of the structure of a street race weekend where, like I say, there's not really much in terms of overtake opportunities. Could Formula One potentially look at changing the uh, the setup for a street race weekend to make it more entertaining and more worthwhile for fans going and watching as well? So uh, one to uh, keep an eye out for closer to the time. But Sam, you, you watched a little bit again at the weekend. You know, you said you weren't interested. You were just watching and because it was on where you are at the moment. And last week we kept bringing you into the conversation because we were reeling you in. And then you put in the chat at the weekend uh, off your own back that you were watching and what was happening. So is it even a little bit reeling you in? Can you see yourself being a fan of the sport? Or is it still just a case of it's on where you are and it's not a long-term thing? Or can it? Is it somewhere getting a little bit inside under your skin? You know what? You know what? I'll I'll uh, I'll give you a little bit here. I'll give you a little bit. It's one of them things now for me. So for, before this, by the way, it was a categorical zero. I'm not watching it. I'll find anything to do other than that. I have now found myself thinking, you know what? It's Sunday. I haven't really got out to do. I'll just uh, I'll just chuck <laughs> F1 on. I'll just see what's uh, just see what all the fuss about, and just uh, just have it on it background. No matter what I'm doing, I'll just have it on it background. Keep my eye on it. But yeah, and it's something I, I say six months ago. It's something a month ago that I think was just definitely not going to happen. But yeah, I've noticed I have started to keep my eye on it a little little bit more than than what I have done. But We'll see. I can't see. I can't see me being a, a complete fan like you, pair. But yeah, it is. It is nice just to broaden your horizons, isn't it? Um, are we? Um, are we talking about cricket soon or not? <laughs> yeah, we will be talking about <laughs> yeah, cricket yeah, soon. Yeah, fair enough. Because yeah, I was just thinking of something similar to that. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's something that I've. Uh, well, I think you pair have put on my radar more than anything, and um, obviously with the uh, with the father-in-law having it on as well, it's just uh, can't get away from it. So I may as well just accept it. I suppose it is one of them. If we hadn't been doing this podcast, even though you would have still been in the same living situation, you know, you saw that on, you would have gone in another room or something. But because we have been talking about it, maybe subconsciously you're thinking, oh, at least I'll have some context to what they're talking about. And, you know, you've you've enjoyed it somewhat, uh, you know, to a certain extent, especially over the last couple of weeks. 
uh, with, with it being more of an enjoyable race. But this weekend is Belgium. Uh, Gary's favourite corner, as we, we always had on the game. Oh, Rouge is the, oh, Rouge is the one. So I don't think there's been much news in terms of updates incoming or anything like that. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Aggie, but I've not seen anything over the last few days. So if there if there is nothing to report on that, give us your um, the usual uh, top three and who will be on the podium steps and hopefully no trophy breakage incidents this weekend. In terms of personnel, there's been no changes, but at the moment it's just the weather forecast. At the moment, it, the rain is really bad, and with Eau Rouge causing a lot of incidents and I think a couple of deaths over the last couple of years, I think it's something that they're all kind of taking into account as is it even safe for us to be racing in these circumstances? Hopefully, the rain calms down and they're able to safely race around uh, the spa circuit. So if that does happen, I think going back to the old format where you can use whatever tyres you want for qualifying, I think it's going to be a case of Max Verstappen takes pole position. Um, in terms of the race, I think Max Verstappen is going to finish on the top step. I'm going to I'm going to have to back both my boys. I'm going to have to say Lando and Piastri finishing off the... Uh, finishing off the podium I said that last week and I think this week it could work just as well for us I think we're in a great position and I say with the confidence that they've got in the car now why not that just shows you what kind of arsehole Gazza is isn't it it's his favourite corner in all of F1 and, and there's been deaths on that corner over recent years it just that just shows you everything you need to know about that guy basically he just calls every corner a rouge yeah, so every corner, every corner in that in that um, circuit is just called Eau Rouge and I think he even gives it some names in Silverstone as well <laughs> he does I think he puts the corner that you walk round up into up into work is, is Eau Rouge as well in <laughs> donut yeah, donut yeah <laughs> uh, but Sam your claim to fame is that you did put Lando on the podium for Budapest Hung- Hungarian Grand Prix and he made it so do you want to put your name to another podium spot or, or the top three in general this week Mm, another podium finish for Lando is definitely on the cards. There's no point even saying Verstappen's going to win, is it? Because that that that's one of the things about this sport I fucking hate. The fact that there's no point predicting who's going to win because that's just just takes off such an edge for, for me. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Lando Lando to make podium. He um, he didn't let me down on my first ever prediction for for F1, so I've got no reason to doubt him again. I like it. I'm actually going to put out there that I am having. Lewis Hamilton to win the Belgian Grand Prix this weekend and finally Ooh. someone other than Max to win. Like it's got to end Ray, at some point. It's got to end at has, some point. It has. And incidents can happen on Belgium. Like I said, the weather can be taken into account as well. So other factors outside of just cars being on the track driving could come into effect. So I'm going to go Lewis uh, this week and winning. I also fancy George Russell getting a podium as well. Um, and I will take Checo getting the final podium for Rebels. So I'm not even having Max. I'm going bold. I'm going big. Um, and Max Jesus. not even get a podium spot this weekend. And Mercedes to get to. So I'll go Hamilton wins, Perez second, and George Russell third. We'll see what happens. Totally if, wrong, I'm sure. If Lando gets on the podium or Piastri this weekend, it'll be the first time McLaren have had three consecutive podiums since Lewis Hamilton. Wow. I'll be honest, when you, when you said that, I thought you were going to say, if they did it, you're going to shave your head or something. I got excited. so I'm saving that a bit for all predictions and stuff. I'm sure that'll come up at some point. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. But uh, yeah, that's F1. Uh, nice, short and sweet. It's uh, This is the last race before the summer break, isn't it, Adam? There's not one after that and then the summer break. So 
Correct. Yeah, so about about a month off after this, Sam. So you, your fandom and your appreciation for it might die down over the next few weeks, but uh, we'll see. Thick and fast. But I'm sure once Las Vegas comes around in November, you'll be all in on that. And it's a 6 a.m. race on a Sunday, so if you're Ooh. up early, you might catch that or you might have to watch the highlights. I can't see that myself. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Who knows? Month off might, might like it even more. Absolutely, absolutely. But Ken, I'm going to very quickly cover the cricket, mate, because to be honest, it's a bit of a sour taste in the mouth after what happened in the fourth test. England well on track to getting a win and taking uh, the Ashes series into a fifth and final deciding test um, this week. But unfortunately, the weather took control of that. England have benefited a lot. I've seen a lot of people slating Australia for being happy to you know, retain the ashes based on weather, but England have done it in the past, so I'm not going to sit here and say it's a load of shit. It's disappointing based on how the series was going, but that is how it is. So Australia, regardless of the result in the fifth test, will uh, retain the ashes because even if England win, uh, it will be a 2-2 draw, which, as I mentioned last week, uh, will mean Australia retain because they won the last, last ashes series. So, yeah. Kind of a damp squib, if you will, of an ending after what was turned into a really competitive and an end-to-end series with Australia taking a 2-0 lead. The fifth test is kind of a, who really cares at this point? I'll be honest, it's only been until about two o'clock today that I remembered that the, the fifth test and day one was happening and I checked the score. England bowled out for 290, uh, Australia closing the day on 60-odd for, for one. But yeah, it's a meaningless game. Um, but Ken, I suppose, Basball has been entertaining, as they call it, England's new style of play. We're bringing in Brandon McCullen, who was a New Zealand batsman, fantastic player when he played the game. Ben Stokes, captain as well. We know how he is in terms of being aggressive, entertaining and taking the game by the scruff of the neck. We spoke about it throughout this series as well. So there's no point really getting into the fifth test or the fourth test, really. But close off the Ashes series and what will be cricket talk done for a while of what this series has done for you, not just for the, you know, we've spoke a lot about your views on test cricket changing, but your views on the game of cricket as a whole, what's this series done for that? Yeah, I think in terms of the game of cricket in general, like I've said, I've always been a big fan of 2020 IPL, Big Bash, and, and I've, I've watched them for many, many years and I will for many years to come, hopefully. Um, but yeah, like you say, it has drawn me to test cricket. Um, the first three tests really, really drew me back in, even though we, Australia were winning 2-1. Um, I thought, wow, this is a really good format. And, and even though it does take a little bit longer, the drama is there when you do get to the final furlongs. Um, and it's definitely worth watching. However, I must say that with this rain and, and with it being called off and with the, the Australians shit hours in the way to retaining the ashes, as we've done in the past, like you say, you make a good point. But the shit hours away, they're all the same. Um, very disappointing and I feel as though I've been sucked back in to test cricket and then I've been spat back out again uh, as, as, as this stupid English-British weather um, has ruined it for everybody so well done uh, well done British weather you fucking pathetic bastard uh, I hope you're happy uh, Australia what a sad little life yeah, I, I'm of the exact... Uh, I, I don't normally speak in these segments but I'm of the exact same mind as you Kemp there Um I've not really paid any attention to the first two first two tests and series as um sorry series should I say but um as as it's building up obviously we've got to, we had a friend going to um to Old Trafford to to watch the you know that that particular test um and then it just got rained off and then the whole thing just got was over before it kind of got interesting and I just think it's it's got to be one of the only sports in the world where 
that the weather can just ruin it like that. I mean, F1, I mean, at least F1 can adapt and put new tyres, different tyres on it and, you know, drive in rain. But I just can't abide by an, an entire an entire series and an entire tournament being dictated by the weather. I just think that's absolutely bizarre myself. So it's, it's put me put me it's right poor. off it. You're absolutely right. It's poor. The fact that they've not got reserve days, the fact that they've not said, right, you know, as we've been rained off, we, we, we've got a reserve day of Monday or Tuesday where we can get this finished and get this done. The fact that it's not being organised like that and it's in, in, and it's literally, oh, the British, we're relying on the British weather to hold out in order for us to play this fucking game. I agree there's nothing you can do about the weather. At the same time, I do think there needs to be something like, say, like a reserve day where you can come back on Tuesday or Wednesday of the following week or Monday or Tuesday of the following week and get it finished off because the the hype around the series, the, the, the entertainment that the series presented, like I said, it dragged me into Test cricket. I've never liked Test cricket in my life. It dragged me into Test cricket. And as quickly as it dragged me in, it's just spat me back out again and left a really, really bit of taste in my mouth because, yes, I enjoyed it, but... Am I going to really want to invest my time in watching Test cricket when it could just get rained off again and end up in fuck all? So it's very, very, very disappointing, I must say. Yeah, even even the likes of tennis, isn't it? Wimbledon, they've they've added a roof to adapt to the the shit British summers over the year, and and a tennis game doesn't stop for weather. So I just think surely there's there's got to be some ways around combating our fucking unpredictable summers, and whether it whether it's build the place with a giant roof or I, I don't know, but it just I don't know. I just, I just think that to have a whole series written off due to weather is just sounds fucking bizarre to me. We're in twenty first century for fuck's sake. There's got to be some something out there that they can do to if it rains, so fucking what we'll play on. But that's that's just me being a non cricket fan. Yeah, well, even that, they, I don't know why now, because again, England have benefited from shit weather in the past, and a lot of Test games, even even one day games that Kemp's a fan of, is have been called off due to rain and affected by weather. But for some reason, there seems to have been a lot more talk after this incident about what could change or what they could look at to make sure games are played. Like Test games typically tend to start at eleven o'clock in the morning, so people are saying, well. If we're yeah, expecting yeah. rain and FF, yeah, but 9 a.m. it's not raining, let's get out for a couple of hours. Or, you know, in the summer, it's not going dark till 8, 9, 10 o'clock, and we've got floodlights anyway. So, why not play later? Why are we taking the stumps off at six o'clock? Why not play till eight o'clock? Because we can. And, and they're all fair and well points. Like I said, I'm not really sure why they're being discussed now, but 100% things have, had, have got to change because back to Tina, how, how many weeks was he absolutely buzzing to go to the yeah. day five? And, and it was just ruined. Even you were asking on Sunday, you said it yourself, you've not talked one bit of interest in this series. But even that day when we were all talking about the weather and asking Tina for updates and, you know, are they coming out? Are they, is there a pitch inspection? You were asking, like, give me the update. What's that? You know, why are mm-hmm. you all that was it. for it? That was it. I wanted to be a part of it. I thought, fuck it, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to keep an eye on it for Tina, see what's happening and, and get, you know, ride the ride the waves as, so it, as it's such. But I just sat there and then I thought, is is this happening? And then it just turns out it wasn't going to happen. Then all of a sudden, Australia retained the ashes. I'm like, what? That just, just doesn't make sense to me at all. So yeah, and that that was same as Kemp, just a bit of pill to, bit of pill to swallow. And I don't even like the sport, so I feel for the actual proper cricket fans like yourselves who who have got hyped for it. Who you've said could have gone either way the first two series, and uh, and here we go, just like you say, a damp squib at the end, and uh, it's kind of fizzled out into nothing. Yeah, and now there's five days of cricket where hardly anyone will pay attention or, or care. I mean, it's really disappointing, but this is what it is. It's not for us to change it, and hopefully something will. Because again, it's not just this test; it's not just this series; it's not just this uh, this format that's been affected by it. But hopefully, yeah. But you say, yeah, but you say it's not for us to change it. Like, obviously, cricket's got quite a small following, you know, worldwide and globally compared to other sports, especially football and the like. So 
for someone like me, they should be wanting to appeal to someone like me who's like kind of on the edge of it, not really involved. Get as many fans in and get as many eyes on the sport as you can. And just to have it as it fizz light in these ways and in a non-contest just seems fucking ridiculous to me. It's not a sport that's growing, is it? It's not a growing sport no. with new fans and selling yeah, but actually, That's why the, the things and... like the IPL and the 100 came in was for that reason, to try and bring yeah. them in, but... Yeah, it's not really yeah. worked, has it? Really? Well, I think. Well, I think in some respects it has, and some respects it hasn't, because in the IPL, you know, IPL in India, as you can imagine, is absolutely fucking massive. There's so mm, yeah. much money in it; it's unbelievable. But it's not translating into Test cricket as well as they probably thought it should do. And like I've said before, why, why can't we do a reserve day? You know, the fact that that we, we're I've invested my time into watching Test cricket, which I never thought I'd do. For it to end up like this, it just does not fucking make sense to me. It really, really, really has left a bitter taste in my mouth. And again, I'm 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 really, really considering as to whether I'm going to be bothered about Test cricket again. It's it's kind of I've gone on a roller coaster. I've gone up and really happy with it, and then I've come back down to not actually giving a shit about Test cricket again. And it's sad because they got me in, and then they fucked they fucked it up. <laughs> Such a shame to end cricket for a long, long while on that note. But Aggie, anything to add before we get stuck into golf? and finish off with a review of the match play of darts. Any thoughts on the cricket? Absolutely not, mate. None at all. Let's move on to golf then. Uh, the last major of the year took place this past weekend with the Open Championship in Liverpool. And uh, Kemp, Rory got close. He was there or thereabouts yet again. But Brian Harmon, with a phenomenal round two, put himself in a great position for the weekend, held out, held strong, and took home the Open Championship. 110 to 1 with the bookies, so a bit of an outsider, a player that you know people know in the golf circles, but certainly not a top, top, top tier player. Um, what a round in, in, in that second day and, and just set himself up to, yeah, like I said earlier, stay calm and collected and, and see it through. Yeah. Um, the, the last round that he played, unbelievable. You know, you mentioned there the second, the second round was sort of, you know, record-breaking in many ways and you look at it and think wow that's, that's the best round I've seen anybody have at Royal Liverpool for a very long time but actually I think the final round was more impressive because you got you know top top golfers breathing down his neck and and top top golfers looking as though they you know they, they, they might be potentially getting themselves into a position where they could uh, they could usurp him um, Tom Kim with four under on, on the final round Sepp Stracker two under on the final round. John Rahm, one under on the final round, ended up seven under in the end. Rory McIlroy, three under in the final round and ended up at six under. Um, but he remained absolutely not giving a shit. He, he, he played the golf course. He got around the golf course really well. All he needed to do was stay level par or one or two under par, and that's exactly what he did. Um, he shot one under on, on the final round, Um mostly pars, you know, four birdies, I think, and three bogeys. Really, really solid round. Took his final total to 13 under, and now he's the 151st champion golfer of the year. So a really, really solid performance from from Brian Harmon and, and, and a really, I would say, boring performance in the end, but that's what it needed to be by him. You know, if, if he'd come yeah. out and had a spectacular final round and knocked everybody's socks off, amazing. But, you know, I, I think what he needed to do was have a really, really solid round not make any mistakes, you know, go round, be sensible, two putts, you know, greens in regulation, and that's exactly what he did. So take nothing away from him, Brian Harmon. Congratulations, champion golfer of the year. Mudge is disappointed again that Rory McIlroy hasn't won a big one. Um, I think, in my opinion, 
maybe another bold prediction. I can't see Rory McIlroy winning another big one ever again. Um, I think that ship sailed. I think he's in a position now where he, he gets to these major championships and I won't say bottles it, but he just doesn't go to that next level. I yeah, think it's I've always there or thereabouts, isn't he? I think right, I've explained it? it before. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember if it was in the chat or if it was on the podcast, but it, it, you know, when he when he's going to you know, PGA events and on the PGA Tour, he's, he's winning those and it's quite comfortable and it's okay. But like you say, he's there or thereabouts. He has some good rounds. It's really consistent. But to win a major, you've got to be spectacular. You've got to have at least one spectacular round, and then at least two or three rounds where you do, you know, you know, you do really well. Rory's having those those tournaments where he's having those rounds that he's doing, you know, really well. But he can't have that spectacular round. It doesn't seem as though he's got it in the bank. Um, so it's disappointing, and it's disappointing for UK golf fans, and I'm sure for Rory McIlroy as well. But again. Take nothing away from Brian Harmon, champion golfer of the year, 151st Open, um, and I'm already looking forward to uh, to, to the FedEx Cup and uh, and and finishing the uh, the golf year off strong, Dawson. Absolutely, mate. Like I said, that was the last major of the year. The next big tournament, I suppose, will be in September when uh, we have the return of the Ryder Cup. So we'll have a good preview of that closer to the time. And uh, Mudge today has has shown his tickets that he's going. So. I'm sure it'd be uh, absolutely buzzing for that one. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the, the only other one really to keep your eye on, especially in a sort of singles format, um, stroke play format, uh, Ryder Cup obviously is a team event, um, would be the FedEx Cup PGA Tour. It's kind of seen as the main uh, final stop on the PGA Tour that's really, really important. It is, yeah. Big, big uh, prize so, spot. Yeah, so FedEx Cup taking place at the end of next month. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting watch as well. Rory McIlroy's won that competition three times. So, hopefully, for his sake, he can get he can get it over the line. And I'll, I'll put my hands up on that. I thought it was after the Ryder Cup. So, uh, poor from me there. But I uh, appreciate that, Kemp. So, it's the last sport of the week, lads. It's the sport we now all love. It's a sport that not one of us is dipping in every now and again. Or we've got half an eye on. We're all well and truly invested. And for me... The tournament, just purely on format, the tournament of the year, and what a tournament it was, the world match play of darts. We all gave our predictions pre-tournament, and those of us that picked players that dropped out for our, our winner and our dark horse uh, made readjustments last week, and uh, sorry, last week as well, heading into the final stages of the tournament. But the man that got closest was Sam, picking the runner-up as his dark horse, which, let's be honest, it was pretty much the perfect scenario because you want your winner to win. And then your dark horse, preferably, is a bit of an outsider coming as a runner-up. But uh, Johnny Clayton finishing runner-up after a sensational final performance from Nathan Aspinall. Johnny Clayton by no means played any bad darts other than a bit sloppy towards the end. But full credit to Nathan Aspinall. He wasn't a man that had been picked by any of us, but a, a well and truly deserving champion. Sam, I, I mentioned it or I came to you on this last week, but now the tournament is said and done. Match play tournament, your first time viewing it. What for you has stood out as a as a format and a tournament over this last week? Yeah, brilliant. Loved watching it. Um, for me, it was just the level of quality across um, across the board. As you say, the top top what was it thirty two? Is it top thirty two? Yep, thirty two out of players um, that that just get entered into it and then just have a good old knees up. So yeah, I've uh, I've absolutely loved it. Um, the final, I must admit, was a little bit of a damp squib. I thought. Um, Clayton just didn't really seem to... He didn't play too bad, to be fair. He just didn't really seem to get into that 
upper level gear he had been playing at in the semis and the in the quarters. But Nathan Aspinall, as you said, he was just absolutely lights out for that entire in, entire match. Um, just something about hearing uh, the Blackpool crowd sing Mr. Brightside as as he's uh, is coming it's on. Unbelievable, just, isn't it? It's such a moment. It's such a and moment. I'll, I'll be honest very quick before you carry on. That song is kind of had like go away heat with me because it's that song yeah. where everyone outside of being a fan of that band, it's just That's overplayed. Right. But th- it's well and true. That it's, it's, the, it's, the it's the killer's Wonderwall, isn't it? It's the killer's Wonderwall. It's Snow yeah. Patrol chasing cars. It's it's not that I'm a big fan, but it's Nickelback Rockstar in it. It's the song that everyone that's not really a normal fan of that band, they love that song. But yeah, yeah. I'm well and truly back on side of it after that. It was it was amazing. Yeah, no, uh, no, absolutely. Uh, Aggie, did you uh, did you watch much of the the final yourself? I didn't watch much of the final. No, I watched a lot of the build up. But I was out on the golf course, so I missed the final. Oh, good chat. Yeah, sorry, mate. There's not much I can say about the final. I didn't I watch it, mate. but no, I, I I saw obviously that Aspinall won, and I thought it was uh, good to see it elevate his his career. Of course, the next step. Here. I thought he did quite um quite well in the Premier League as well. So. Um, yeah, I think is this um, first or second major? Second, second when the second. Masters, Masters or UK Open Masters are 2019, so it's second major. Second. I think there's it's a second lot, TV title. I think there's a lot of people that can come out of that competition feeling like they've given a very good account of themselves, and then you look at like you've mentioned already, Smith, Van Gerwen. Um, Peter Wright all went out quite early, didn't they? So there were a they couple did. of outsiders there that kind of yeah, stepped at up. The quarterfinal and... stage, we were guaranteed a new winner and new finalist. Which exactly, exactly. I think Gerwin Price was out quite early as well, wasn't he? So pretty much all the the big names were gone. So you got to see some of the talent that maybe you wouldn't see on a regular basis make a name for themselves. So hopefully we'll see quite a few of them um, in the Premier League next year, representing the countries in the World Cup. I know. Now there's a very good shout that it's going to be Luke Humphreys alongside Smith. Like you've said, Sam, the, the two of them are kind of like the exact same sort of players, aren't they? You know, yeah. quick pace to get on with it. and Rhythm think, players. Yeah, and I think when you've got somebody like Smith that's got that rhythm going for him, and I know doubles might not always work in his favour, when you've got somebody like Rob Cross alongside him that, you know, takes his time and is very steady with it, it kind of upsets the rhythm that Smith might get going, whereas with Humphreys, I think they can work quite well together. So hopefully we'll see a bit of that. But yeah, other than uh, than Humphreys, I think um, DVD did quite well. Um, I think obviously Clayton versus Humphreys was an amazing game. Yeah. Just, just on Humphreys, I know me and you picked him as, we've said we had him down as our winner, but Sam, I don't know if you noticed, but his grouping when he's, when he's like throwing 180s or something like it's just fucking like it's amazing. They're all so yeah. close and like in a bunch. Like it's 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 fucking satisfying. Like I'm, I'm on those like satisfying videos and stuff like that. Yeah, purist, purist. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of them as well. Up and comer, isn't he? Just like like you say. Obviously, a lot of the first round, the big hitters all went out. So it's just nice to see these players that are on the peripheral. You know, you've got your Humphreys, your Cullens. Um, just all these different, obviously Aspinall who, who won it in the end, all these players that have kind of been on the edge. I know obviously Aspinall was in the Premier League, but it didn't really, it didn't really, um, didn't really look like he was going to win it, did he? There was never a point where it looked like he was going to win it. So yeah, it's nice that we finally got to see more of these players that are on the edge of the circuit. That, uh, that looked like, you know, if, if tomorrow Van Gerwen was going to hang his darts up, it looks like the sport's in a, in a very good place. Yeah, definitely. And I know I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago and Kemp came back on, on on it to me and I do agree, but it'd be interesting to see where Phil Taylor sits in this era because the depth is so big. Like like you said at the start, Sam, like that 32 players, 
literally this last week and a half, anyone could have beaten anyone because the depth is the depth is that strong. But yeah, what a tournament! Really enjoyed it. The uh, I don't know if you saw, but the the dates for the World Championship and pricing came out, and I think it was yesterday. Um, and I did look at it, and I thought, oh, do I book a day? I do imagine. I have a look? Over the tickets Christmas. are. Mate, tickets are very reasonably priced. But I just thought, oh, I don't know when I've got Tommy. I don't want to commit to a day. It's just after Christmas. And I get, we, obviously, we get paid at the start of the month. So I'm going to be skint if I'm paying for a hotel and all that. So I was like, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe next year. But I'll tell you what, though. Match play at Blackpool does sound tasty, doesn't it, lads? Fucking hell. He's planting seeds in my head here. He's planting seeds uh, in my head. Uh, I, I just want to put it out there. You know, darts in Blackpool next year. You know what I mean? Dalton Blackpool next year out. and get to get Aggie on the big one at Pleasure Beach as well, just to top it. No, off, no, 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 mate, I'm there. Sam as well, to be fair. Don't leave Sam. Yeah, out. Going weird, but I'm not going on no roller coaster. Playing Sam radar there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. That's match play done and dusted. Unfortunately, but again, congratulations to Nathan Aspinall. What a final performance and a, a well-deserved winner. Uh, the next big tournament. Naturally, we've got all the players tours and all this kind of stuff that happens every day of the week. But the next big tournament will be the World Grand Prix starting Monday, the second of October. So, lads, that's probably. I think we've got the uh, we've got we've got the Masters next, haven't we? I thought it was the World Grand Prix. I had the I had the calendar up, the schedule, um, and yeah, I'm not seeing the Masters, mate. World Series of Darts. World Series of Darts is that the one that's the BDO and PDC candidate, or is that Grand Prix? I can't remember. Not hundred percent sure off the top of my head, mate. To be fair. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, World Series of Darts is mid-September, so maybe that's one. It's on our TV spot. That might be... No. Okay, World, so... Se- World Series is just PDC, I think. Is it? So that's on our TV, so we'll probably, um, no doubt we'll discuss that one. So that's mid-September, so just over a month away. But yeah, um, there is one tournament, and I, I, it might be the Grand Prix, but I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, it's Sam, it's, uh, it's BDO and PDC, mate, so I'm sure you'll look forward to that one. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to wonder what what tournament is it is. The only reason I say that is because I've just seen that uh, Johnny Clayton's just pulled out of the next next tournament. I thought I've seen it was the Masters due to his uh, his dad's health. So no, that would uh, just be like the European tours that they do all the time that aren't televised. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah, we've got the we've got the World Series of Darts mid September. We've got the World Grand Prix at the start of October. Um, we've then got the Grand Slam of Darts, which I think is the one that's beat. BDO and PDC uh, at the start of November. Dawson, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin your your mid flow. Um, Mate, if you're going to correct me, tell me because I'm confused as well, fuck here. Yeah, badly correcting you badly as well. Um, the BDO as an organisation um, folded in 2020. What? No! What do you mean? Mm. Oh, it's exactly what I mean, I mate. Want, I, just, I wonder what I mean and I mean what I say. And showed up. Fucking hell. Aggie, are you crying? Yeah. No, I'm good, mate. Don't worry about me. Are you sure? Because BDO is absolutely a bit of Aggie darts, by the oh, way. Go clap for nine darter. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely fucking good. Sam will never be able to, like we say, BDO World Championship start a weekend and Sam thinks I'm going to sit and watch it. And three legs in, he's putting that in the so chat like, <laughs> I reckon I could give these a game. Because honestly, on my life, when I played darts, when I lived at home, so this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was of an okay standard. Like, But there were times I watched BDO and I thought I genuinely could give some of these a game because the standard was that bad. <laughs> to give you an idea, Sam. Time. To give you an idea, my check my checkouts on Saturday night 
you, you wouldn't see that quality in BDL. Let me tell you. Honestly, fire. Kemp would be Kemp would be minimum <laughs> semi-finalist based on what I've heard. That is, uh, he'd, he'd be he'd be Aggie's dark course going into that tournament with the uh, level of finishing that he had. There. Aggie, Aggie yeah. with his cop- Aggie with his bronze fucking brass copper darts. He'd be fucking brass. <laughs> Sixteen-time <laughs> BDL world champion like by good... now. Mate, yeah. they work for me, so I don't give a shit. Champion. I'm not bothered. They work for Aggie, me. do you know what weight they are, by the way? Because Stephen Bunting throwing 12 gram darts, lads, which I've learned this week, seems absolutely outrageous. Mm. More outrageous than his TikTok content, but that's for another day. You fucking leave him alone. What a boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lads, I've really enjoyed talking about darts these last couple of weeks. As much as I did during the Premier League, it, 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 was, our, it was our first full-on proper tournament went other than just the weekly Premier League update. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, and we'll be back in the next few weeks to talk about it again. But that's it for episode 59. It is in the books. Episode 60, as I mentioned at the start of the show, will be a shorter episode. We'll be talking about the UFC this weekend, the boxing this weekend. We'll be talking, well, we won't be talking about the cricket. We'll give it a quick mention, but we'll not care too much, as well as uh, Aggie's thoughts on the fallout from the Belgium Grand Prix as well. And then we'll be back on a usual time Friday during the day at some point, depending on when I can get shit done and released, ready to give our predictions for the football season. Lads, I'm fucking hyped for that one. I don't know about you lot. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Long overdue. Yeah, I'm prepped. Aggie's prepped. Sam's prepped. And Kemp will be prepped just as I hit record (laughs) uh, for episode 61, I'm sure. But lads, that's everything. But as always, before we go, let's get stuck into the weekend talk. Sam, you won't be joining us for the... uh, for the every every or any other business or every other business uh, earlier in the week next week, unless F1 is really entertaining and you can't help yourself. But uh, <laughs> what have you got planned for the weekend, mate? Uh, steady weekend, I reckon. Um, Saturday night, I believe, me and Katie are going to try uh, Buddies in Matlock, the the smokehouse. That um... oh, is that the one that was uh, that the guy that was on MasterChef? Um... Possibly. So Antino went to not long ago and said it was like really good. So, yeah, we've been meaning to try it for a while. We've not really had uh, a chance, but um, Saturday night we we realised that we haven't got much on. So we uh, we both both booked to go to uh, yeah buddies. I'm going to go to a bit of a smokehouse and and try lots of meat. Nice. Have, you, have you perused the menu? Have you, you know uh, me, mate, not yet. Plethora of meats. Ooh, not no, yet. I, I, I may do that day, every day until I turn up. I may do that. Ju- I may do that just in a minute when I get settled in bed and I just uh, just have a browse on my phone and have a little catch up. Um, yeah, readers on perch on the uh, nose. That's it, perch readers, and just have a quick uh, peruse of the menu and uh, just just yeah. wet me up. It's a bad thing to do it doing that before bed. You get, get a bit hungry then when you lay in bed, thinking about all that yeah. fucking sexy food. Yeah, that's it, mate. Well, we'll hopefully we'll get a bit of a review uh, come the football show next week before we get stuck in. But uh, Kemp, that, mate, you ain't got time. Full steam ahead on football show. Go, go, go. <laughs> that's it, Kemp. As Sam mentioned there about wetting the appetite. I think we're getting a bit of wetness in your pants, saying plethora oh. and perusing and things like that. So other than uh, dreaming about big words and what Kemp, uh, sorry, what Sam's going to be at the weekend, what have you got going on? Yeah, I got majorly distracted then when Sam started talking about his meat, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, plethora and Sam's meat, yeah, I'm in for a good time on that respect. Uh, yeah, I um, it's going to be a weekend of fights. I'm going to be playing a bit of golf tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, purely because I won't be able to fit it in anywhere else over the weekend. Scrapping with dog on course. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We've got UFC 291 um, and, uh, and, and, and Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence. 
And then the prelim to that, as you say there, Sam, is me chucking uh, me chucking Nardog into the uh, into the lake on the golf course, uh, at least in the bunker, at least in the bunker. But uh, but there you go. But now uh, it's going to be uh, an action-packed weekend of fights, and then on Sunday afternoon, probably going to go over to my mum's and have a nice Sunday dinner and, uh, and try and catch up on as much sleep as I possibly can. Sounds like a plan, mate. Ready to go back at eight Monday and get settled in for an hour or so Monday evening to chat about everything that you've just mentioned. I'm sure, Aggie, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, my friend, but this will be the last weekend you've got before your usual weekend business resumes as the football season returns, or are you back at it this weekend? Uh, I am back at it this weekend. The season for the NCL gets underway on Saturday. Um, Funnily enough, the same time as I turned 31. So I'm going to be working on my birthday. Um, so I'm going to be covering the football. And then on Sunday, I will be out for my nan's 81st birthday. And that's pretty much mate. Well, the weekend. From me, Sam and Kent, mate, obviously we'll speak to you between now and then on the weekend. But hope you have a tremendously lovely birthday weekend. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that and more and how you got on uh, early next week before we get stuck in. Maybe we should have done some pre-season predictions but lads, that's absolutely everything for this week and this weekend. We, as I say, back to two episodes next week for one week only. There's going to be plenty to talk about. Come prepped, come ready. And Kemp, I hope we really enjoy the fights this weekend. It lives up to the hype and the prestige that you've painted it as tonight. I'm sure it will, but I'm sure it won't be as good as you reeling off the names of our social media. Absolutely. Uh, Facebook and YouTube and Spotify, just search Loaded Sport. Make sure on YouTube and Spotify you're subscribing and following. Hit 150 subscribers on YouTube, lads, this week. Get in. What a landmark. If you want to follow us on TikTok, search at Loaded Sport, and it's the same on Twitter as well. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it is at Loaded underscore Sport. Bosh. Nailed it in one. There's a first. And also, if you want to join our Discord group, it is relatively new, but uh, if you want to join it, just drop us a message and we'll send you the server link as well. Uh, and Aggie, for anyone that's still with us, you set up a Loaded Sport Fantasy Football page this week. Uh, we've got quite a few people in there already. Me, Kemp and Aggie are in it with our teams ready and prepped to go. Sam isn't a fan of fantasy football for the Premier League, but um, us three are in it as well as many others as well. So if you do fancy getting involved, just drop one of us or mainly Aggie a message um, and we'll send you the invite link and get involved we are what two weeks away from the Premier League starting so plenty of time but lads episode 59 done and dusted enjoy your night mate